Thank you, choir. Please take your Bibles and open to Psalm 23. Now, I'm a little disappointed in that children's sermon, Ben. I was really expecting to see Jamie actually have to pick you up and carry you because you were straying, and I was looking forward to that. That would have been, that would have been fun. As a great, vivid example of this psalm. Psalm 23, you know, it's a psalm that I think most people have heard at least once. It's, I know it's the most requested text that I get when, when people ask me to do a loved one's funeral. And it's perfectly understandable why this psalm would bring us such reassurance and solace in times of grief. Because here we read David's testimony of God's goodness and grace, and it's beautifully written in vivid imagery. I mean, David describes God's comforting presence as we walk through grief, something that everyone in here either has or will do. He gives us hope that we will dwell in God's palace forever. As one historian noted of this psalm, it has sung courage to the army of, this, of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the hearts of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching grief, of orphans in their loneliness. Charles Spurgeon called it the pearl of the Psalms. And another preacher wrote, It has dried many tears and supplied the mold into which many hearts have poured their peaceful faith. But this text is far more than just a funeral text. And it is, it is for far more than just funeral sermons. Psalm 23 holds a wealth of truth for every day of our lives, painting a powerfully beautiful portrait of God as our Good Shepherd and our gracious host who leads His people through every circumstance and stage of life. So let's read together Psalm 23 and then we'll walk through it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would open our eyes and illuminate this passage to us, a passage so familiar. May the familiarity, Lord, not make us blind to the deep truth that it contains for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here in verse 1, David sort of gives us the thesis for the rest of this hymn of praise. He confesses two truths about his relationship with God. He tells us who the Lord is to him and what difference it makes in his life. The first confession is, the Lord is my shepherd. Now let's just look at each of these phrases, each of these words here. First of all, he says, the Lord. The Hebrew word there is Yahweh. The very name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. David is saying this is the covenant God of Israel. The creator God who established the nation of Israel. Who rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Who parted the Red Sea. Who gave them the Ten Commandments and all of the Torah. Who led them to conquer the promised land. Who established David's throne. And who promised to bless all the nations through him. This is who David is talking about. The Lord. 
the God of Israel. And he says the Lord is, not might be, not will be, not was. He says the Lord is. It's a certain and present reality. David is telling us something that is now and forever will be true of God. Not only was God active in human history and in Israel's history, God was active and at work in David's personal history. So we don't worship a God of yesterday or a God of tomorrow alone. We worship the God of today. Jesus Himself said that the Lord God is the God of the living, not the dead. And He says that this Lord is my. This is personal for David. God isn't just some abstract concept. David is telling us something immensely intimate and personal about how God is connected with him and how God relates to him and is involved in his life. God is real. He is present. He is actively at work today. And he wants you to experience his power and his presence in your life. God longs to have a relationship with you. The Lord is my... And this next word describes that relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. As Ben noted, David is hearkening back to his youth and his own personal experience at shepherding his father's sheep to describe how God has been there for him. I mean, David knew all about what a good shepherd was like. And these first four verses of this psalm really unpack this metaphor detailing God's loving care and guiding presence for His people. Because this first confession is true, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore the second confession is true, I shall not want. The result of having the covenant God of Israel as our shepherd is that we shall not want. David confesses that because God perfectly provides and sustains and guides and guards His people, we will not be lacking anything of worth or value or necessity. Our good shepherd is always with us, leading us not just in the face of death, but through every circumstance and stage of life. And let's look at that. Let's look at how the good shepherd, how we shall not want when God is our shepherd, because He leads and cares for us in the pasture. Look in the pasture at the provision of the shepherd. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Every need we will ever have can be met by the guiding, providing hand of God. First of all, our shepherd gives us Sabbath rest for our weariness. The deepest kind of rest you can ever experience is Sabbath rest. Now, why is that? Because Sabbath rest is about two things. One, it's about trusting in God's hand to provide for you. It's about trusting God when we can have Sabbath rest. But secondly, it's also about gratitude for all the good gifts that God has given us. And Sabbath rest is one of those gifts. It's a gift from God meant for our enjoyment, for our recreation, for our restoration. When we're tired, when we're weary, when we're burned out on life. Jesus even told the Pharisees, He said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is God's gift for us. And Jesus also tells us that we can only really find that kind of recreating, restoring rest in Him. 
He says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me. This is one of the greatest invitations. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, and I find it strange that we have such a hard time accepting this gift of rest. Sometimes we outright refuse it, don't we? And when we do that, maybe it's because we don't really trust our shepherd to supply our needs. Maybe it's because we have a spirit of ingratitude for God's good gifts. Either way, we often are guilty of resisting laying down in the green pastures, aren't we? Which is why David says here, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes God has to make us do what's best for us, don't we? Sort of as my loving parents had to do for their stubborn know-it-all kid. Had to make you do what's good for you. Eat your vegetables. Go to bed. Take a bath. You stink. You know, our parents have to make us do some things. So let's not be brats. Let's accept God's gift and let's lie down in the green pastures and rest, okay? But then it goes on. He also gives us sufficient refreshment for our weaknesses. You know, so sheep are effectively helpless, clueless, defenseless animals. I think that's why God compares us to them so often. And one reason that sheep won't lie down in green pastures is because they're skittish. They easily panic. And, and, and they're always kind of, of, of ready to scatter at the slightest provocation. But in the presence of their shepherd, sheep feel safe and secure, and they will lie down. They'll also lie down when their tummies are full. Amen? I mean, again, another way we're like sheep. And notice here that the shepherd makes them lie down in green pastures, lush pastures. The shepherd has led them to a place where they can fill their tummies and feel safe and lie down and rest. But sheep also get spooked by running water, which is why it says that he leads them by gentle or still waters. Oftentimes a shepherd would get into a stream, kind of like I used to do up in the mountains. You know, we'd go picnicking at Cades Cove, and what do you do? You get in the stream, and you take all the rocks, and you build a dam. And then you put your watermelon in there, and it makes it really cold and good that afternoon. And that's what he would do. He would get in there and he would build these dams and he would make a gentle pool and then the sheep would go and would drink. Consider this morning the great lengths to which God goes to ease our fears, to satisfy our hunger, to quench our thirst. It's significant that Jesus called Himself the bread of life and the source of living water. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be what? Thirsty. So it doesn't matter this morning what you're afraid of or what you find yourself in need of. It doesn't matter what your faults, your failings, or your weaknesses. God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. The shepherd also gives us spiritual restoration for our wanderings. David says, He restores my soul. Now the Hebrew word there for restore, it means to return, to refresh, to make new. 
See, our shepherd doesn't just care for our physical needs, but our spiritual needs as well. Now, you might remember that David had a period in which he wandered from the Lord. He committed adultery. And then he conspired to commit murder. And then he engaged in a cover-up to try to hide it all. David understood very well his need for spiritual restoration. So there's a lot packed into this simple phrase, He restores my soul for David. Thankfully, David unpacks this phrase for us in Psalm 51 in his prayer of confession. David says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Perhaps this morning that's your prayer. You need to pray to the Lord and confess your own wanderings and weaknesses and ask Him to restore you to a right relationship with Him, to renew your spirit, to refresh your heart. Because our good shepherd is in the soul restoration business. Amen? He gives us rest. He gives us refreshment. He restores our soul. And finally we see here that in the pasture He steers us down the ways of righteousness. These sheep have no sense of direction. Kind of like me. If it wasn't for Google, I don't know how I'd ever get anywhere. You know, ask Julia. Even with Google, sometimes I get lost. Sheep have no sense of direction. They easily wander off course and get lost. Many an absent-minded shepherd lost valuable sheep from his flock to a predator or a cliff or a thief. But a good shepherd, a good shepherd guards his flocks against such attacks, even if it's Kenneth. I mean, a good shepherd will, will guard his flock against such attacks and would even be willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus said in our New Testament reading, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For the sheep. Jesus goes on in that chapter to talk about how sheep know the voice of their shepherd and follow him, as Ben and Jamie demonstrated. And so we as Jesus' followers, we should recognize his voice and follow him. Amen? Now see, shepherds in ancient Israel... You know, it wasn't just a clock-in, clock-out, nine-to-five job to be a shepherd. Shepherds lived with their sheep. They slept with their sheep. They knew their sheep and called them by name. And the sheep knew their shepherd's voice and followed it, which is why you never saw a shepherd from behind driving his flock. The shepherd would always be out in front leading the way. That's how a shepherd leads his sheep. And our good shepherd leads us. And he only leads us down the right paths. The good paths. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of his holy name. In the pastures he provides for us. But we also see he gives us presence in the valley. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So David doesn't linger long in the green pastures or beside the still waters. He quickly takes us to the dark valleys of life. And here we see that our good shepherd is able to protect his sheep in the moments of greatest danger. Now the shepherd isn't just intentionally leading his sheep down dangerous valleys for the fun of it. 
You know, he's not out there just trying to be risky or, 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 or for the thrill. You have to remember, Palestine was a very hilly, arid landscape. It had lots of hills and lots of valleys. It had very few lush green pastures and not a lot of regular flowing streams. You had a lot of wadis, which is kind of where when it would come a downburst of rain, you'd have kind of a, a sudden flash flood of a stream, but not a lot of just regular places for water. And so oftentimes, a shepherd would have to lead his flock from one pasture or water source to another through some scary terrain, along some edges of cliffs or down some narrow valleys with cliffs on either side. And if you've ever seen a western, that's always where you're going to get ambushed, right? Through those valleys. And so it's true. In those dark, shadowy valleys, you'd have predators waiting, maybe a wolf or a bear or a lion to catch the sheep. You'd have... Uh, you'd have thieves ready to jump in there and, and to steal some of those sheep. And by necessity, we also have to travel through some dark and dangerous valleys in life. And not just when we're facing death. Divorce, disease, depression, addictions, financial hardships, times of doubt. These can all be valleys for us, can't they? And really, any season of struggle, any time of transition can feel like a dark valley. Now, Jesus never promised us the absence of storms in our life. He only promised to always be with us through them. And the Bible never promises that we won't be able to, uh, that, that we can avoid the dark valleys, but it does promise that when we go through the dark valleys, our shepherd will be with us, that he will walk with us. And He will lead us through those valleys to the other side. God's presence here gives us two gifts that help us to make it through the difficult and dark times of our lives. The first is courage. We can fear no evil because He is with us. Nelson Mandela said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. That's courage. One of my favorite books when I was in high school was To Kill a Mockingbird. Maybe you've read it or you've seen the movie. It's a great movie. And in that book and in, in movie, Atticus Finch, uh, he has a son named Jim. And he enlists Jim to go over to Miss DeBose's house and read to her. Now, what Jim doesn't know is that Miss DeBose is dying. And she's been, she's been addicted to painkiller. But she is determined that before she dies, she's going to beat that addiction. She does not want to die addicted to the painkiller. So Jim goes over there to read to her. And his reading to her takes her mind off her pain. It eases her suffering and it helps her to die free of this addiction. So after Mr. Bose dies, Jim is very upset and, and he's talking to Atticus and he doesn't understand why Atticus had him go over there and get to know her and read to her only to then lose her and experience this grief. And, and, and Atticus wants to explain to Jim what true courage is. Not the kind you see in the Westerns on, on TV, but real courage. And he says this, I wanted you to see what real courage is. Instead of getting the idea that courage is a man with a gun in his hand, it's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway and see it through no matter what courage, to face that dark valley knowing it's going to be tough, 
but to walk through it anyway. And what gives us this courage? How can we face the frightening realities of life with that kind of courage? It's because we can face it knowing that really there's nothing to fear because we know that our God is with us and He is greater than any fear. He is greater than any danger. He is greater than any addiction. It doesn't matter how insurmountable the odds. We can face them without fear because God's presence gives us courage. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That promise is true for you today. He gives us courage, but He also gives us comfort. See, God doesn't promise us that we won't suffer, that we won't experience loss, that we won't walk through dark valleys or weather the fierce storms, but He does promise to never leave us nor forsake us. He will always walk through the valley with us. He will always ride in the boat with us through the storm. And specifically, David mentions two tools of the shepherd that represents God's encouraging and comforting presence. The first he mentions is his rod to defend us. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the shepherd's rod usually was about a two-foot-long oak club. And he would use it to defend the flock against wild animals. He would use it some to count and guide, but mainly it was a weapon. And it symbolizes for us God's guiding and guarding protection. And then he also says, your staff. Now, the staff is is sort of what we think of. We think of the shepherd's crook. It's a long stick with a, a hook or a bent on the end. And this was used for several things. It was used to kind of pry the sheep out of a thicket, to push aside branches in the way, to, to, to rescue fallen sheep out of holes, to guide them along dangerous ledges, or when their jokes got really bad, to pull them off stage. That's what a shepherd would use. To, maybe not that last bit, but... But, you know, the the staff, the shepherd's crook, symbolizes how God brings us back when we stray. How He keeps us from walking off the cliff. How He rescues us and disciplines us when we get ourselves stuck in the thicket of sin or when we fall down the sinkholes of worldliness. Now, when we talk about God's rod to defend us, that's comforting, right? We like to think about God being our sword and our shield as we looked at a couple of weeks ago. But the staff that disciplines us, that's not so much a warm fuzzy, is it? Reminds me of all the times my dad would say to me with the belt in his hand, Son, this is going to hurt you far worse than it hurts me. Which, you know, my dad usually told the truth, but I know there's no way that was a true statement because, man, did it hurt. But, you know, we don't like discipline. We don't like discipline. We don't want to be told that we're wrong. We don't want to be corrected by someone else. We certainly don't want to be grounded or or spanked, do we? We don't like discipline, but we need it. And the loving parent is the parent who disciplines their children. And the loving shepherd is the one who corrects the course of their wayward sheep. In Hebrews chapter 12 it says, because the Lord disciplines the one He loves. He chastens everyone He accepts as His Son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. For what children are not disciplined by their Father? 
One of the ways that God sometimes protects us from danger is by getting our attention. And sometimes that may mean a, a swift kick to the rear, motivating us to change our ways and to repent and return to His righteous path. Maybe this morning you know that you've been experiencing the Lord's discipline. You need to repent today. Confess your sin and ask God to help you change your course. Now in these last two verses, David changes his metaphor. God the good shepherd becomes God the gracious host. And with this new portrait of God, we discover that in addition to provision in life's pastures and protection in life's valleys, God also gives us preparation before our enemies. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The good shepherd has satisfied our needs. He's guarded and guided us through the dark valleys, and now he defends and honors us in the presence of our enemies. Can you imagine being surrounded by enemy armies and feeling safe and secure enough to sit down and just have a meal? Can you imagine that? Rather than feeling afraid and desperate or uneasy and paranoid, you feel confident, safe, secure. What could ever make you feel that way? Someone far greater and more powerful than your enemy has prepared a banquet for you, has anointed you, has blessed you beyond measure. That's how. And David gives us three pictures of how God has prepared us to stand fearless before our enemies. And who are our enemies, by the way? They're not the people who disagree with you politically. They're not the neighbor next door that throws his clippings over the fence into your yard. Satan, his demons, the principles and the powers of this world... They're the ones who seek to do us harm, to undermine our work for the Lord, to destroy our families and our reputation and our faith in God. That's our enemy. And in the face of those enemies, look what God, our good shepherd and gracious host, has given us. He's given us a prepared table. When those who seek to do us harm are breathing down our necks, we can sit down at a table prepared for us by God and we can eat without worry. When we face Goliath, we can have the confidence that we come in the name of the Lord of hosts who has won the victory already. As Christians, we can think of the Lord's Supper table laid out before us. The Lord's Supper table that Jesus could sit and eat at knowing that He was about to die the most cruel and painful death for our sins because He also knew that someday there was going to be the wedding feast of the Lamb. We've read the end of the book and we know how the story ends. Amen? a table prepared for us. But also we see the anointing oil. And see, it was the custom of a good host to provide oil for your face and for your head, uh, especially if you were an honored guest. That, that host would give that to you as a way to refresh you uh, from, from traveling in the hot, dusty environment of the Middle East. That was a, a custom. And the picture here is of God anointing our heads with oil. God who refreshes and renews and restores us from our weary journey, especially as we contend with the enemies around us. As Christians, we can think of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling Spirit of God can reinvigorate us when our service wears us down. Okay, I'm sure that it was the Spirit of God that helped you with many a crying baby, right? 
to help you to make it through that hour. When's David going to quit preaching, you know? He can renew us from all the demands of life, all the battles we fought, all the wounds that we suffer. We can cast all our cares on Him because he, we know He cares for us. And we can pray for the Spirit to constantly fill us and renew us and refresh us because His mercies are new every morning. He is the living water that never runs dry. And we see also the overflowing cup. Here David refers to the constant supply of drink that's provided by an attentive host. You guys have been to a good restaurant where the waiter, just without you even knowing it, you look down and your glass is full again, right? And they just are always there, not in the way, but being attentive. And that's the picture here. David is saying the Lord is like a generous host who keeps your cup filled to the brim. In fact, it's overflowing with the best drink imaginable. It's a picture of God's pouring out His abundant supply of grace in our lives, which is more than sufficient to strengthen us and to satisfy us and to sustain us in the most dangerous and draining of circumstances. God is the infinite source of all that we need for life and ministry. Jesus echoes this when He tells us that He has come to give us not just life, but life abundant, life to the fullest, life overflowing. And Paul prays for the church in Rome. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is your life overflowing with hope, with joy and with peace? It should be. Our God is a good, gracious, generous God who wants to give you every good gift and fill your life with blessings so that His river of grace can flow through you to bless the people around you. As you generously share not only His riches, but the greatest riches, which is the good news of His grace. And finally, God, our good shepherd and gracious host, gives us life in the palace for eternity. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I'll come back to that in a second. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In this psalm rich with imagery, David has moved us from peaceful pastures, through dark valleys, past gathered enemies, and finally brings us into God's eternal palace. Our good shepherd and gracious host is now the glorious Father with whom we can settle down and be at home. Jesus told us in John 14, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Through every circumstance and stage of life, God is there to comfort our hearts, to supply our needs, to ease our minds and to restore our souls. He gives us everything we need to live life to the fullest and He gives us everything we need to live life eternally. All the way our shepherd leads us. Amen? And in verse 6, the first part of that verse says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We are pursued along life's path from the pastures, through the valley, before our enemies, and into the palace, all the way along we're pursued by God's goodness and mercy. 
God's goodness. The Hebrew word there is the word tov. It's the same word in Genesis 1 that describes God's creation as good, good, very good. It means the fulfillment and perfection of God's will. It's what Jesus told us to pray for. We would pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's God's goodness. And it is what is ours. God promises us that when we belong to His flock, His goodness will pursue us throughout life. And even when bad things happen to us, even when we get stuck in the thicket, even when the wolf comes, even when we walk through the dark valleys, His goodness will transform them into something beautiful. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. If you've been called by the shepherd, if you're part of the flock, you can know that no matter what you face, somehow, someway, in a way that's beyond our understanding, God can take everything and use it for good. His goodness and His mercy. The Hebrew word here is hesed. It means God's covenant love for His people. A lot of versions translate it love or loving kindness. Hesed happens when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. It's not based on my merit, but based on God's faithfulness to His covenant promise. And the only way, listen to this, if you're nothing else, hear this, the only way that we can even count ourselves among God's sheep is by His mercy. We don't deserve to have God as our good shepherd. We don't deserve His provision, His presence, or His protection. And the only way that you will ever enter His palace is by His mercy. Have you today received God's free gift of mercy? Have you turned from your sinful wanderings and cried out to the good shepherd to forgive your sins and to restore your heart? God wants to give you a clean heart today. He wants to renew a right spirit, His spirit within you. Because Jesus laid down His life for His sheep, we can all become a part of His flock. And we can begin His life anew today. You can know all the blessings that I've described this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never become a part of God's flock, then I invite you as we sing in a moment to come today and to give your life to Jesus Christ and experience His mercy and His goodness. Maybe this morning... You're one of the Lord's sheep already, but you know you've strayed off course. Maybe you've experienced some of God's loving discipline. Maybe you know that you're stuck in a thicket of sin. You've wandered down a path that takes you far from the flock of God. This morning this altar is open for you to come and do business with your shepherd and to let him help you make that course correction in your life. But maybe for you today, you've been worshiping with us for some time and, and you're already a part of God's flock, but... But you've been, you've been worshiping and resting and refreshing and serving in a different pasture, but you know that God is leading you to this pasture, to this local congregation. We invite you this morning to come and to unite with this church as we follow our Good Shepherd together, as we watch out for one another as we walk this path. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your goodness and Your mercy. We thank You for the courage that You give us and the comfort that is ours as Your rod guards us and Your staff guides us and, yes, even at times disciplines us. God, it doesn't matter what we go through in life, the good times in the pastures or the difficult times in the valleys, we can trust that You always are looking out for what is good for us.
and what is good for the glory of your name. Father, there are people here today that don't know you. They've never trusted in you for forgiveness of sin. They've maybe tried to, to fix themselves, or they've tried to, to do certain good things to earn your favor. Nothing we can ever do can earn your favor. It's a free gift. And if there's anyone here today that needs to receive that gift, I pray they would do so this morning. God, you know each heart, you know each mind in this place, you know our needs, you know where we are along the path. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us and lead us into whatever your voice is calling people this morning to do, they would hearken to your voice and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray.